This week's podcast is sponsored by Direction. Hello and welcome to another episode of Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, and it's May 17th, 2023. And on the show, we have Arusha Pires, a portfolio manager from O'Neill Global Advisors, joining us as he does every week. How are you doing, Arusha? I'm doing well, Justin. Excellent, excellent. And uh, fresh off the the big CMT event that was just uh, recently celebrating a big anniversary, we have David Lundgren uh, joining the show. Now, David is a portfolio manager over at uh, Motor Capital, and he is also, at, for the CMT Association, he does a podcast called Build a Gap. So it's great to have David here. He's going to be talking about some of the things that he's learned over the years. Of course, he is a CMT like uh, Arusha. And uh, how are you doing there? David, I'm doing excellent, Justin. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Great to see you, Arusha. This yeah, is uh, it's been you. an honor. It's, this is an honor for me to be here. I've been a follower of William O'Neill's work. Is I used to get the Daily Graphs books way back when, and, okay. and uh, I've been a follower ever since. I, I think I've read that How to Make Money in Stocks ten times. My my younger son has it, and he's got it all dog-eared and everything else now. So he's probably read it ten times already awesome. as well. So his influence awesome. continues to this day. What, what what was what was the color of the first one that you read? Oh boy! Uh, I, <laughs> because I now we have the white, the red, the blue, yeah. and the orange and the green. So <laughs> I I, uh, I think it was the white one. Okay, yeah. so yeah, that's that's the oldest. That's, that's the first, the first yeah. edition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the second edition was the red, and then uh, yeah, I, I I helped out with the blue, the third edition, and the the, the fourth edition. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, good stuff. I mean, certainly uh, so much so much knowledge, you know, just packed into those those books, and uh, of course the charts. Uh, especially the fourth edition with the orange, um, yep. the orange cover. It just has those 100 charts at the beginning that just kind of gives you a sense of, hey, here's here's how America got built with all these <laughs> stocks. Um, but we'll we'll certainly get into some of the learning lessons there. Um, we'll cover the market today. Also, uh, some of the ideas behind patience, process, and uh, not firing until you see the whites in their eyes. So. Uh, and of course, then we'll also talk about some individual stocks. But let's go ahead and start with the market. Uh, very strong day today uh, on on Wednesday, and uh, a little bit of breadth too, uh, which was which was nice to see since that's been one of the issues. Um, David, where would you like to start? Do you want to start with the Nasdaq Composite, or? Yeah, I mean, we can uh, start with the index that's lying the most. So yeah, let's do that. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so the Nasdaq Composite, of course. Uh, I, I, again, you know, here we are at highs for 2023, uh, climbing back after a, a you know a, a bear market in 2022, and um, you know all, all the moving averages are kind of in in line, and we're above those. So, uh, what what could go wrong here? Well, I mean, if if this is all you were looking at, uh, then you should absolutely be long with the idea that we're we're about to start a new cyclical bull market. And I'm not saying we're not. I just there's just a lot of things that you don't see beneath the that are going on beneath the surface that you don't see by just looking at the Nasdaq 100. Um, but you know, you know, when you when you equally weight the performance of the tech sector, it's actually out of the 11 sectors, it's the sixth best sector. So this is the best index without question. But in terms of sectors equally weighted. So you strip out the cap bias. It's it's only the sixth best sector. So there's there's a lot of disconnect going on beneath uh, beneath the surface, and it's just it just comes down to it's it's not to say that this can't continue higher. It's just to say that if it does continue higher, just be mindful that the generals are marching up the hill and the troops are still 
uh, you know, back at the camp drinking coffee. <laughs> yeah. not, not, not the usual case. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's, it's one of those things where you might be finding a disconnect with your portfolio because if yeah, you're not exactly. in the right stocks, uh, you're not getting this type of action. That's right. Yeah. So David, what, what is, if this is number six, what is number one on? So, so yeah, I mean, that, that's actually part of the good news is, is there, there's a, you know, the way I've been phrasing it lately is that there's just too many good things to happen. I mean, there's too many good things happening to not have long exposure. There's also too many bad things happening to not have short exposure. So you really should have both on. And, and I think if you look at the market, I mean, we've been going, we've been kind of oscillating around 39.50 since May of last year. So we've been in a, we've been in a range for a year. We've been in a bear market internally for two years. Um, but, but the point is we've been in a range for a year. So what, that means that there's a lot of good things happening. There's a lot of bad things. So one of the good things that I can point to is that if you everything that I do is equally weighted because I, I really strongly believe that like the phrase I use is lies, damn lies and market cap weighting and, and it's statistics. <laughs> right. It's just it's just what what market cap weighting does to your perception of what's happening. So if you equally weight uh, the various uh, the, like the technical structure of the various industries, the number one industry is industrials. Number two is consumer wow. discretionary. And it's been number two for a long time, despite the fact that Amazon for the longest time has been holding down the discretionary sector. It's actually wow. been it's actually been the uh, number two sector for a long time. Um, number three, unfortunately, is staples. You don't want to see that. Right, right. Um, and then after that, we have uh, materials, um, healthcare, and then tech. Mm-hmm. That's, it. Yeah. That's really uh, interesting. Especially as you said, not even, not, even, not even the top five. And, you know, when you have defensive areas... Um, you know, really kind of taking some of those top spots. Uh, that, that's that's something that's something that we're not normally looking at for as growth investors to, to be. The yeah, no, and I, and I, I hate to even uh, get further into the weeds on this, but but you can also look at it's kind of like looking at beta. But there's problems with beta. One of which is that it's a five year look back and beta changes, so it's kind of too slow to respond. So I, I, I kind of I measure performance of stocks in different ways, almost like upside downside capture. And when you when you do that and you rank every stock for its upside and downside capture, what you find is that a lot of the stocks that are leading in industrials actually are a bit more defensive. So it's mm-hmm. it's on the one hand, it's good to see industrials as a leadership sector, but it's 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 certainly not like stables and it's certainly not utilities. But having said that, even still within industrials, there's still a lot of defensive uh, leadership going on there. Mm-hmm. And it's worth it's worth mentioning that you're. Um... Your, your fund is a long and short fund. Right, so you, right. you, you do both. Yes. So maybe, maybe talk a little bit more about that idea that you brought up from the beginning is that uh, you, you kind of have to have both in this market. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that the, the um, I'm, I'm definitely a bullish person by nature. I, I can't wait for the next bull market. I'm, I'm kind of yeah. chomping at the bit because I love it. Like everybody, all of you, all of your listeners do, I'm sure. Um, but but there are times when you 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 need to be able to recognize that you're just not in that environment. And and I would say even there, in all instances where trend following is not necessarily really rewarding you, even then it may not be the right decision to short things. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you're actually in such an environment that you should get short. And and I think the past year has been one of those environments. And um, and so I think I think uh, everything I do is systematic. And and mm-hmm. so I'm just trying not to. Uh, overlay or, or enforce my opinion on the market. And so when you do that, you just kind of like s- take a look at a, at the market from a from a higher level systematically and from the bottom up systematically. There's just there's just way too many charts that are that are just starting to break tops even still. So a lot of the financials are broken down already. A lot of the banks are broken already. But there's a lot of there's a lot of charts that are 
you know, for every chart that looks good, I can show you one and a half to two charts that look bad. Yeah, that's that that's true. Now, so David, what what would you need to see to kind of get you more bullish using kind of the sector view that that you're using the equal weighted sector view? So I I have a this 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 uh, I guess it's called an indicator I guess, but it's called a risk gauge. And okay. and what it does is like there's only there's five things I care about. Everything else I listen I I, I monitor because I'm interested. Sometimes it can be useful, but I most things I don't care about. Like I don't care how steep the yield curve is. I don't care what the Fed just said. I don't care about earnings season. I don't even care about what sentiment is because I, I have this, this um, sort of ph philosophy that I try to rely on that's, uh, the, that I refer to as the inviolable rules of trend following. Mm -hmm. And so everything I do is based on these inviolable rules of trend following. So, um, you know, C cannot happen if, if we're at A and you're thinking C is going to happen, C can't happen until B happens first. So okay. everything I do is based on those concepts. So like if you're looking at a stock and it's at 10 and you think you can go to 50, I can guarantee you there are, there are no guarantees in this business except for this one. That stock cannot go to 50 unless it goes past 11 first. Right. <laughs> right. That's trend following. That's the essence of trend following. So right. all my entire research process is based on concepts like that around five different concepts. So it's price trend. Okay. It's relative price trend. It's uh, the fancy word is cross-sectional momentum, which is what technicians have been calling momentum, you know, since uh, since the 1930s. So it's just traditional, you know, ranking stocks and comparing them to each other. So momentum, and then breadth, and then volatility. Those five things have certain profiles in every bull market and in every bear market. Whereas, like last year, is a good example of why I why sentiment, although I follow it, sentiment's not in this model because mm -hmm. last year we've had, we had on many in many. Uh, instances in many gauges we had record bearish readings and the market just kept going down anyway right mm -hmm. so so like just just because the market is everybody's really bearish doesn't mean the market's going to go up so you right. can't rely on it from like an inviolable rules of trend following perspective so when, when i when i do that and i do it across four time frames you go all the way out to the quarterly chart which to me is like that's that's kind of where i live that's the that's the trend i'm trying to capture wow okay when you do that and think about the reason I do that is because, and this is very much because of, you know, my, in my influence, uh, the influence from William O'Neill is just to really focus on those fundamentals. Because, you know, I, I often say that if, if somebody asks me what, what, what's more important, fundamentals or price trend, there's no, I wouldn't even hesitate two seconds to say fundamentals. Mm -hmm. Because without strong fundamentals, there are no strong price trends. Mm -hmm. It's just that the, 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 there's a huge distinction between, between um, fundamentals in fundamental opinions. When you look at uh, performance of actively managed funds over the years, I think it's 89% have underperformed. And the reason they've underperformed is because they're trying to exert their opinion upon the market. And this is like with rocket scientists on their team, like long-term capital management and all these other things where CFA Well, they, is, they have even more educated opinions. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I get insulted if somebody ever tries to call me, not that this has ever happened and I hope, I don't, I don't think it ever will, but if anybody ever called me the smartest person in the room, I'd be insulted. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, the kiss of um, death right there. <laughs> but, but the idea is, you know, if you look back in time, um, the in, in any one year window of time, the the biggest influence, well, let's say say half half of what happens to a stock in a given year is dependent, is driven by valuation, valuation expansion and contraction. So if you ask me what's the best sentiment gauge that you could possibly look at, it's valuation. You know, in on in one year, people are willing to pay 20 times earnings, and then they're willing to pay 50 times earnings. Mm -hmm. You know, that's sentiment. That's confidence. It's how much uh, optimism you have. So in the short term, it makes sense that in the short term, 
valuation expansion and contraction drives half of what happens to a stock in any given year. But when you start getting out to three, five, 10, 15 years, the, the expansion and contraction evaluation drops to, I think it's 5%. And then 95% of what makes a stock do what it does over that 15 year window is, is, is uh, fundamentals. 75% of it, this, this will probably make uh, William, William O'Neill smile uh, or Bill smile uh, is 75% of it is, uh, is top line revenue growth. Mm-hmm. Right. So all of that is to say, that's why I believe fundamentals are pretty much all that matter. That's what the evidence shows, but it's not my fundamental, fundamental opinion that matters. It's mm-hmm. the market's opinion of the fundamentals that matter, which is a long way to kind of get okay. around to your original question, Arusha. Um, yeah. It was so long ago. I think it was Arusha that asked it. it might have been <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is why I focus on that quarterly chart, because ultimately that's the one that's driven by fundamentals. That the when you start going from quarterly all the way down to daily, this is this is not an original concept. This is what Charles Dow said over 100 years ago, that the shorter the time frame you look at, the more you get into the field of emotions and emotional responses yeah. to fundamentals. You get out to the monthly and quarterly chart. It's about fundamentals. So when you do this analysis, that five time frames, the, the five inputs that I told you about over mm-hmm. four time frames, when you do that on the quarterly time frame, almost 60 percent of the markets in a downtrend. Mm-hmm. And the quarterly yeah. charts driven by fundamentals. So that's that's the problem that I see here. So you ask me what okay. what do I what do I need to see change? I need to see that I don't need to see that you know get really really bullish before I get bullish. I need to see it inflect positive. Okay, but and, getting and over fifty percent or or um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily to... have to inflect um, above fifty percent. It just because okay. remember the, the this concept of trend following and trend is fractal, meaning that. The quarterly chart can't get, cannot possibly, this is another inviolable rule of trend following, which is why I do four timeframes. Um, the quarterly chart cannot possibly get better unless the monthly gets better first, right. which mm-hmm. cannot get better unless the weekly gets better first and then on down to the daily. Mm-hmm. So it, most people, if you ask them what's the long-term chart, they'll, they'll, I think, very fairly say, you know, the weekly and the monthly chart are, are what I consider long-term. And I think that's fine. I, right. I'm, I'm, I have no problem with that. I happen to follow quarterly, but weekly and monthly gets you there as well. But the point is, is if we get strong enough inflection on the weekly and monthly timeframes and, you know, those trends inflect enough, then I'm willing to bet that the quarterly charts, the quarterly timeframe risk gauge is going to inflect as well. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But at least I have I have structure to manage my risk on those positive inflections that happen on the weekly and monthly timeframe. Yeah. So it's not that you need to wait for everything to get rosy before you get bullish. Right. In fact, this analysis, the reason I do it from the bottom up is because it does tend to get better. You, know, you guys know this as well as anybody that breadth precedes price in terms of market turns. So this is all based on breadth. So mm-hmm. this will inflect before the market inflects. Yep. And I mean, so it's kind of like the fall today. Inflect first. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah, of like yeah, the exactly. today. You'll have some th- groups working. Not everything's working, but you're seeing kind of that breadth start to increase, more breakouts coming and getting more reasons to get pulled into the market. Exactly. Yeah. You know, one, one of the things that I I, uh, I, I want to stress as well is, is you, I really try to avoid, you know, timing the market, like being bullish and bearish and changing my exposures based on that. I try to be as systematic about it as possible. But even in, in environments like this, where I have very low gross exposure, because that's the kind of environment we're in, I have longs, I have shorts, it nets out to about 20% net long. Okay. Um, but the way I gross down my lo- the long side of the book is I don't, I don't take on fewer positions. I still have, you know, in a, in a very strong bull market, I'll probably have 35 to 45 names on. Today, even though I have roughly 40% long exposure, I still have 40 names on. 
Okay. So when the market inflects positive, all I need to do is cover my shorts if I haven't already, and then just gross up my long book, and I'm already long when I want to be long for the for the next bull market, as opposed to okay, we just inflected now. What do I buy? Right. So I'm just I'm constantly, uh, you know, constantly upgrading the long side of the book so that when the market does inflect, and it will, it absolutely will inflect positive eventually. I'm already long when I want to be long. Mm-hmm. I just need to gross it up. Right. And I guess that's been one of the frustrating things about this market is that um, we've had a few of the what looked like we were starting to trend on the short term, uh, but it just hasn't lasted. You know, I mean, I, even even in 2022, sure, you could point to some really strong rallies uh, that lasted up until the 200 day moving average line yeah. got turned away right there. And, and again, it was kind of that that lasting uh, component of it that, that we just didn't have. And uh, th- that's a, probably been one of the more frustrating things of 2023 is I feel like that that time frame has gotten even shorter. So David, uh, for the for the 40 stocks that you'll have, um, those are still, they're mainly screened by fundamentals, right? And um, or, or is it? They're, they're not, um, but, so, so the names that I have right now, I, I'm almost positive that if and when the market does inflect, not all of them are going to survive because they'll get pushed down by oh, by other things doing better. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but the point yeah. is, is that they're all they're all um, they're all they're all horses at the right starting gate. And when okay. the race starts, obviously, this is the, this is what's great about about trend following versus uh, versus um, you know, I guess I guess the way I'd say it is is that trend following is a lot like. Is, is a lot like betting at, at the horse track, mm-hmm. except with the exception that you can actually wait for the race to get started and find out, figure out who's winning and then place your bets. Yeah. And then, and then oh, you can also oh, even change, change your bet. Yeah. Program. I was going to yeah. say changing your bets is even the best part, right? Like <laughs> What's that? A lot. That's really I, yeah. I, I always yeah. think of changing your bet as being, yeah, the best you can part. actually change horses midstream. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, so uh, j- just real quickly, before we kind of uh, wrap up this section, you-, you mentioned that volatility was one of the components that you were looking at. Um, what what kind of aspect are you using there? Um, are-, are you looking at an overall volatility measure like the VIX, or is that something more uh, specific to the individual stock like the ATR, or what-, what what is it that you're looking at there? Yeah, it's um, it's the average true range, mm-hmm. um, but I-, I break it down into... Um, Good volatility and bad volatility. So good volatility um, is obviously if you're long and it goes up a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of volatility products will will ding you uh, right. if you go up a lot, right? Which is a pro- which is a problem. So I, I break it down into good volatility and bad volatility, mm-hmm. and then I also I, then I also measure if the volatility is going up, you know, increasing or decreasing, and then I also measure if it's above average versus below average. So you you have these sort of like three metrics. So ideally what you're looking for is you're looking for um, below average volume that's falling and it's good vo- good volatility, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I do that for every stock in the 2,500 stock universe that I monitor. Wow. And, you know, right now, I mean, it's it's the, um, the, the biggest bucket is, let's see here. Yeah, so, so 78% of the volatility is below average, 88% is falling, and 41% is good, meaning, meaning uh, 50, 59% is bad volatility, meaning, meaning that more volatility is being experienced on the downside than, than on the upside. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. I mean, so it's, so yeah. when, again, but that's a, that's a that, so one, one of the, the things I was going to say about last year that, that, that um, 
that I, th I thought was interesting was, remember I talked about those risk ages, I measure them in four time frames: daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly. Right. And so during the, the, bear, the bear market, the weekly and monthly timeframes are down and risk off, meaning we're in a full, you know, full on bear market right. in the month, weekly, monthly timeframes, which remember is most people's long-term chart. Mm -hmm. These are still fundamentally driven. So we're in risk off. Um, and so as we had those big 12, 18% rallies, Yes. In 2022, the daily time frame of that gauge went all the way to risk on, as you can imagine, it wouldn't went right to the 200 day right. average. Right. And despite despite getting that magnitude of rally, the weekly and monthly time frame stayed in risk off. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I can see that. Yeah. Go. Right. I, will, I mean, you can always you'll, you'll use like the 200 day moving average, right? As, 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 uh, exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, but but the difference I is like that, that yeah. the, the rally from October to November and, mm -hmm. and then through December, a lot of things happened on that rally that was that was very very different from what happened during the big rallies prior to that. The most oh. important one, I think, was the momentum crash, which is a it's a, it's a bit of a a, a, um, a rabbit hole of a, of a conversation. But it essentially it essentially means that um, you know if you think about factors, whenever you hear somebody hear, hear say the phrase factor, just think about a hedge fund. And mm -hmm. the, the factor or the hedge fund is long the best of something and it's always short the worst of something always regardless of what's happening in the market so in the case of momentum it's long what's outperforming and it's short what's underperforming and during bear markets the momentum factor i.e hedge fund actually does really well because what's doing bad is doing really bad and it's doing so in a very volatile fashion and, it, and you actually mint money on the short side as a momentum investor yeah. in the long side Probably if it's a bad enough bear market, it's probably going down as well. It's just going down a lot less. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's working out great. Everything's great until the day the market bottoms. Yes. And the nature of the way bear, bear markets bottom is it's like quick. Yeah. Momentum has a 12 month look back. So it, 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 it's still thinking that everything that's down, oh, you know, gosh. 70, 80 percent is still the is still the worst stock in the market. Oh, gosh. But they can go up 30, 40 percent and still yeah. be in the bottom decile momentum looking back a year. And so yeah, you end up with this momentum crash. Those momentum crashes happen when when it's like the whenever you hear the phrase or, or if you hear somebody talking about momentum crashing, that's very bullish for the market. It probably means the market bottom, mm -hmm. but it's really bearish for the momentum factor. And mm -hmm. we've experienced that now for a year because it's mm -hmm. the market momentum factor has been kind of like all over the place and trend following has been all over the place. That's yep. because the market's trying to figure out where the leadership is, mm -hmm. but it will, it'll figure it out. And, you know, we just need to be patient and you know, keep our bullets, keep our ammunition dry and just kind of wait until uh, we see the whites of their eyes, if you will. Okay. Yeah. And uh, to that end, you know, on our next segment, we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit more about this whole process um, and also why it pays to be patient and uh, when is the right time to be trading? What kind of thinking you have to have? So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Apple, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leveraged and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, along with Arusha Paris, who joins me every week. He's one of the portfolio managers over at O'Neill Global Advisors. And on the show this week, we've got David Lundgren. He is a CMT. He is a uh, podcast host of the Fill the Gap podcast. Uh, podcast from the CMT Association and also a portfolio manager at Motor Capital. So, uh, David, you, you know, threw a lot of different things for us to look at, um, but maybe it's time to kind of see some visuals of exactly what you're talking about. Um, and of those 
of those components that you look at, uh, your, your, your main rules, uh, let's talk a little bit about the breadth. Um, and maybe we can show a visual of that for the folks that are watching this on video. Uh, and that's always available at investors.com slash podcast. So um, tell, me what, tell me what we're seeing here. Yeah, so on the on the left we have the uh, S and P five hundred, and you can see the the green box and the red box. These are the ranges that are that are pretty much they define trend, and you really can't get too bearish unless you get below the green box, or too mm -hmm. bullish unless you get above the red box. And so even even the Nasdaq's not above its own red box. It's not featured here, but it's still it's still below below there. Um, and the the picture on the right is the uh, value line geometric average, and that's an equally weighted. Uh, index that has about, uh, I guess it's about 1,500 stocks in it. And um, and what you can see is during the decline from last year, they pretty much moved in lockstep with each other right up until the uh, the moment the uh, the banking crisis actually started. So the banking crisis started on um, March 7th. So if we measure everything from March 6th, we can see that both the value line, value line average and the S&P went down into the green box as a, as a result of the Right. The, uh, the banking crisis. But if all you're looking at is the is the uh, S&P 500, you can now see that we're now back to overbought. And it looks like mm -hmm. not only we are, are we overbought, but we're actually above where we were the day before Silicon Valley went went bust. So it looks like we, we, we dodged the banking crisis bullet, which which would be if you're looking at this on this alone, that would be a fair assessment. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the, the value line average, which is, again, equally weighted in, in telling you what the average stock is doing, we're still oversold. We're nowhere near above where we were before the banking crisis started. And, and actually, if you look at what's, what's actually happened since the, the uh, 6th of March, there's only three sectors that are, that are up on average. And I, I think I could probably win a bet in a bar if I, if I asked this question. But, but unfortunately, the three sectors are utilities, healthcare, and staples. Yep. Everything else, and I stress, everything else, including tech, the average tech stock is down is below its March 6th low. And what's what's even worse is if you if you look at the the market there, the S&P it bottomed on March 13th. Mm -hmm. Since the market bottomed on March 13th and ran all the way across the range, it got back to overbought. Since that bottom, the average bank stock has dropped an additional 15%. Wow. Mm -hmm. So so that's what's going on beneath the surface and and it's critical to to realize that but none of this means that what's working won't continue to work. I mean, we saw from 1998 to 2000, that was that stealth bull market. Yep. That right. was the old economy versus new economy. Maybe maybe it's, maybe it's the, the bull market going forward will be all driven by AI-related stocks. It's possible. You have to keep an open mind. But what it is saying is that in this environment, it's not just the opportunity sets, not just long. There's still shorts to be had. Mm -hmm. And there's unfortunately, there's a lot of them. And, and as I said, the average tech stock uh, is down... Uh, about almost six percent since since March sixth. Yeah, and and I feel like in a normal environment, uh, you you kind of have these more in line with each other. This divergence exactly. is 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 not the norm. I mean, certainly, uh, ideally, when things are when things are going up, it, it's kind of like everything's going up, and it's it's a lot more forgiving because oh, you know. Yeah, I'm doing good, but everything's doing good. You know, yeah. It's kind of like you don't have to be a genius to pick a stock. You know, darts do a pretty good job. But in this market, it, I mean, I guess it's that classic line of uh, stock pickers market because if you're if you're not in the right stocks, um, you know, you're you're not having a good time. Yeah, there's a, a, you know, it's always a stock pickers market. Um, even in a bull market, it's still a stock pickers market because that's actually to me, if you ask me, if the S and P continues higher, driven by a handful of stocks and everything stays down, everything else stays lower. 
that's a pretty easy market because you know exactly what to buy. I mean, it's like buy these 20 stocks. But if if we actually go into a robust bull market, that's actually harder. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're almost a kid in a candy store at that point, right? Because you're you're like, everything's going up. You're like, how do do I figure out? Yeah, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I I mean, it's almost a, I mean, it's funny because it almost seems like both. It just depends. Like if you are in these AI stocks, you you have every right to be bullish, right? Even though it's a narrow type of market. But if you're bearish because you see all these other stocks collapsing, it's like almost, it's an environment where you can have both parties right. It doesn't have to be either or in this case. Yeah, it's it's actually the, the quote on this, uh, on this page from my website says, uh, this condition reminds me of F. Scott Fitzgerald's quote, the test of the first rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in the mind at the same time and go. still retain the ability to function. Right. That, that's that's what this is all about. And so yeah. so you can you can puzzle about it. You can be confused about it. And that's all fine. And I, I wouldn't I would, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But at the end of the day, if you actually just kind of step back, what it's actually saying is, you know, if this is trend following, well, we follow trends. Well, where are the trends? Well, they happen to be in both directions. Well, right. what should you do? Well, you should do both. It's a hedge fund after all. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. But I will say this too, though, that that um, the, the the rally that happened off the October bottom was, as I said earlier, was a, was distinctly different, importantly different from what happened during the, all the other rallies during 2022, indicating that whatever whatever um, the, the market was concerned about during 2022, the, the lows in October fully discounted it, and the market was looking forward and it liked what it saw. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, with with that being a backdrop. Um, in the fact that the market was down about 25%. Whenever the market's down 25%, you do one of two things from there. You either bottom, base out, and then go into your next your next cyclical uh, bull market, or you go down another 20% in a crisis mode. So what mm-hmm. we've had so far up till now has been a, a cyclical bear market. I wouldn't deem this as being a, a crisis bear market like, like 2008, 2009, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. whenever we get this far down in the market, I almost I, I'm always looking for short ideas. But I'm also mindful of the idea that we're probably close to done. Right. And the fact that we had the, the, the magnitude and quality of rally that we had last year off the lows tells me that the market was looking forward and it likes what it sees. Since then, of course, we've had this uh, banking crisis. And, and as you can see, both indices have, are holding above support, despite the fact, think about this, despite the fact that the um, three of the four largest bank failures in U.S. history have happened in the last couple months yeah. and we're still above support. You can't ignore that, right? So, right. put all that together, and like, I what do I think? I think we're probably going to bottom. I think we're probably. I think my 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 risk gauges are probably going to inflect higher, and I'm probably going to cover all my shorts, and I'm just probably going to gross up my long book. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm I'm not really in the forecasting business. I'm in the reacting business, and mm-hmm. and right now, I don't have anything to react to from from what I currently have on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let, let let's talk about this a little bit more in terms of. Um, you know, this, this forward looking kind of idea that the market does. And, you know, this, this is kind of the whole concept behind trend following is that we want to be, we want to be on the right side of that. And sometimes it does require patience because just because you bottomed, as you said, doesn't mean you're going up immediately. You could be basing out. And we, we've seen that a number of times, Um, you know, the bottom, you know, there's the V shaped bottoms, which, you know, they, they act one way, but then there's the bottoms that happen and, you kind of drag on for a little bit before you really start uh, start going. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the mindset that you have to have uh, in order to remain patient during those times. Yeah, I, I think this is this this is a, a critical concept. And you know, when when at our la- at our last CMT symposium, I had a great 
uh, opportunity and fortune to uh, to interview Jerry Parker, who's who's one of the few uh, turtle traders who who uh, came out of that whole experiment, you know, with, with a great track record. And and the whole point was that I I I I could have had him on the stage in front of a bunch of CMTs, three hundred and fifty technically minded investors, and asked him questions about about his uh, his process and does he buy the 200 day breakout or the 213 day breakout just to try to get the edge on what he does. But the truth of the matter is that none of that it's, you know, it's like you, you can't make money unless the process works. But just because you have a, a good process doesn't mean you're going to be able to make money. And, and his experience is case in point. He was back in the early 80s. He was one of 20 turtles. They were all taught the same exact uh, breakout system, risk management. They all traded the same uh, instruments. They traded in the same office. And they were all taught by the same exact legend of trend following. Mm -hmm. So if there ever was an, a, a, a situation where you were going to have a tailwind in, to start your career in trend following, go on over the next 40 years and crush it, that was it. But how come nobody asks, well, if that's true, then why, why did only three or so turtles actually do really well? Mm -hmm. I mean, if, it, if it's just signal and if it's just risk management, it, it's clearly it's not just that. It's mindset. And when you talk to Jerry Parker, it's his his mindset is what kind of carries him through these difficult times. And we're in one right now. And, and you hear a lot of people today talking about how, quote unquote, trend following is not working. And I, I think that's just half half right. The, you know, what is trend following? Trend following is a process that gets you on the right side of major trends and, and does really well in that environment. But it also does a great job of identifying bad environments and, in, 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 um, you know, uh, protecting your capital. So is trend following not working over the past year? I'd say it's working great. It's doing a great job doing the other half of what you signed up for, which is protecting capital. Right. So the idea is, you know, dig small holes when you're just in an environment that's not, you know, ripe for, you know, right tail events. But always, as I said earlier, even though we're in a bear market, I'm always upgrading the portfolio and making sure that I'm owning those horses that look like they're, they're, they're you know, most eager to get this race started. And, and then when, when the bull market starts, um, which which I'm gonna which I'll be able to identify with with the inflection in these risk gauges. I'll just gross up my book. But until then, I have in my mindset, as I said earlier, these inviolable rules of trend following. If I'm anxious about about wanting to buy a stock, like Riot is a stock that looks like it's trying to come back again. There's a whole bunch of other ones that, that look like they're trying to come back again. If I'm anxious about trying to buy a stock like that, and I think it can go to 50, but it's at 10, it can't possibly go to 50 unless it goes above 11. So let's just find those levels that matter and below mm -hmm. there. Don't be anxious. You know, just let trend following do what it does. Protect your capital until it's time to, you know, put your capital at risk. Mm -hmm. And that's well, all it's mindset. It's, it's be patient and just let the process work. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're truly listening to the market, right? Yes. You're, you're yeah. trying to keep that open mind and, and waiting and not predicting, uh, which, which is, I mean, and it makes a lot of sense that when, Jerry Parker, when you had you interviewed him, that only three of the twenty were able to make big big money because human nature yeah. <laughs> messes everyone up, and yeah. and from following that plan, right? Yeah, I mean, the, well, the market I think has it's a so... funny way of taking down even the best and brightest. I mean, look at long-term yeah. capital management, everything yeah. else. So, yeah. you know, if active managers, it's about eighty-nine percent of active managers underperform doing fundamental analysis. And we can go back in history and isolate many uh, fundamental analysts and portfolio managers who have done great. So it's, it's, is it, is it the fact that nobody does well? Is it because of the process or is it something else? Mm -hmm. I'd say it's probably something else. And it's the, it's the baggage we bring to the table as investors that kind of gets in our way of executing a process that works.
Mm-hmm. Well, let's use this example that you just kind of came up with. You know, so yeah. uh, you, you've got a stock, and it doesn't have to be Riot. It could be X Y Z stock. You know, the favorite stock of everyone. Um, you, you know, it, you, you think it's going to fifty. You know, your indicators are kind of showing that the trend and, and everything. Um, but you know uh, that there's this critical level. You know, so do you, do you think that it's that people are um, you know, it, it's a $10 stock and you should be waiting until it gets to 11. Is it that too many people are buying it at 10 and not waiting? Or are they maybe misidentifying where they should be buying it? Um, what, yeah. what do you think is the biggest problem? I, I think it starts with expectations. I think that people, when they buy a stock, they expect it to work. And mm. that is so opposite of the truth of trend following. It, over a full cycle, you're really, really good at this if, if half of your trades make money. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a bear market, you know, you're probably doing really well if 30% make money, right? Mm-hmm. And, you you're, you know, you're, you're doing, you know, doing even better in a bull market, 80%, 90% make money, and you think you're a genius, right? Mm-hmm. The, the reality is, like, I have, I have a statistic here in front of me that, that um, again, if you, if you take trend and you, and you break it into 10 buckets, five to negative five, five is a, is a high momentum uptrend in a five a negative five is a high momentum downtrend. And then you can say, okay, well, if measuring from when each of these trends started, are they in the money or are they losing money? Right? So if you're in a bull market, all those positive, you know, it's basically one through five, all those buckets will be in the money. They'll be, they'll be up from the moment they inflected to positive trend. And if you're in a bull market, anything that's in a downtrend is probably going to be up as well. That's telling you right. that whatever's breaking down is not going down, right? That's mm-hmm. the that's the proverbial bear trap, et cetera. But if you look at the numbers today, uh, first of all, fifty uh, percent roughly on the weekly chart, fifty percent of the market's in a downtrend. So again, that's pretty much no, let's not ignore that. But when you look at all of the uptrends across, you know, the one through five, fifty-six percent of them are in the money. Forty-four percent of those breakouts have failed. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Then when you do the same analysis on the downside, one negative one through negative five, 94 percent of the stocks that are in a downtrend are have gone down since the, the since they broke the level to put them in a downtrend. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a bear market. Yeah. yeah. So so knowing all this, that helps you manage your expectations. So like today was a big up day. I didn't have a great day today, um, but I had a bunch of these really bad days in 2022. But I stuck to my guns. And when the market got overbought, the models didn't inflect. I just increased my short exposure. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're, you know, right now it's, you know, if you look, if you do this analysis on the quarterly chart, as I said, it's, it's uh, almost 60% of the market on the quarterly chart is in a downtrend. Mm-hmm. So if you get overbought in that context, that's an overbought long-term fundamentally driven downtrend. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so that helps me build my expectations and put into context what happens day to day. So we were talking earlier about, about, um, you know, monitoring what happens with various buckets of trend. And if I look today, like the average quarterly timeframe uptrend was up about a percent today. The average stock was up uh, 190 bips today. So mm-hmm. I can look at that and say, well, my, my longs weren't up anywhere near 190 bips today. So I, I, I had a terrible day. Something's wrong with my process, right? Expectations and mindset. But if I actually look and I see, you know, all, all, up, all uptrends underperform today. Yeah. And the downtrends were up anywhere from 200 to 250 bips today. Downtrends, uh-huh. stuff we don't buy. Right. We're not even trying <laughs> to buy that stuff, right? So if, if I know that all the gains came today from stuff in a downtrend, am I actually going to start thinking that trend following is not working? Or am I actually going to say, well, this is a downtrend? Volatility, by the way, is greatest when you're in a downtrend. Yeah. yeah. 
So it's all about perspective and, and really understanding truly deeply what you're doing and, and what it's going to get you to do, what, what has to happen in order to get you to do something different. And that's all based on these inviolable rules of trend following. And until they happen, you know, you, you just have to keep perspective and, and keep uh, keep the faith in that long term process, if you will. No, well, I, and I there's would... a patience level. Uh, I mean, yeah. and you you kind of made the reference uh, earlier to the, the, the what we call the Bunker Hill strategy yeah. of not shooting until you see the whites in their eyes. And I yeah. mean, you, you know, we were kind of talking about this um, as you were, you know, discussing it and bringing it up. You know, how scary must that be if you've got this whole host of things coming at you, which we do. I mean, you know, I mean, we, we've had over the last year, um, all sorts of news coming at us right now. It just so happens to be the debt ceiling. Um, but there's certainly recession, inflation, all of these yeah. things. And, you know, you're supposed to be, you know, just sitting there waiting um, and and not firing, you know, quite yet. So uh, I, I guess, what do you rely on in order to give you that conviction of, hey, waiting is going to be the best thing for me? the just the the process um mm -hmm. the, 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 like i always re remind myself that what i'm doing is based on these inviolable rules of trend following like good things can't happen unless these things inflect they mm -hmm. 10 can't go to 50 unless you get above 11 it's like that across five uh five measurements on four time frames so they good things can't happen until these things inflect but when, when you think about that that uh wait don't fire until you see the whites of the rise you can imagine the um, the anxiety and the fear they must have felt, yeah, putting putting to shame any any anxiety or fear fear we feel today, you know, <laughs> formal or whatever as a trend follower, yeah, but, you know. So you ask yourself like, what what was it that probably gave them the courage to do that? They have a loaded gun. Hopefully it works. This was back in the Revolutionary War, so yeah. it's a loaded gun, but they had very little ammunition, and they're waiting until they can literally see the weights of their eyes before they fire. What gave them the confidence to do that? I would say it had to be some combination of their respect for and confidence in uh, Colonel Prescott, the, the guy that told him to hold the, hold their fire and um, just a, a, a confidence in, in the, in his long-term strategy of how, the reason he's doing this is because we don't have a lot of bullets. We have to wait for them to come upon us. So they just believed in what they were doing and they understood it. Right. Mm -hmm. Same thing here. We have to, you have to have respect for the message of the market. I always say the market is the best fundamental analyst on the planet. That's why it's so hard to beat. So just yeah. listen to the market, right? Yeah. Have have a structured way to listen to the market, which is the, the process I'm describing. And then just have confidence that over time, trend following works. It, it's not, it doesn't just work. It's the best strategy over time. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I would actually tell you that anybody that's done well over time is either explicitly tells you they're a trend follower or they're implicitly a trend follower because mm -hmm. nobody makes money unless, unless the price goes up. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. all trend, right? Mm -hmm. So... You just got to have belief that trend's going to come back again, but you'd have to have a structured way of identifying when it does come back, and then until then, hold your fire. Yeah, yeah, and and David, uh, just yeah, and just and really, I think to end this segment, you know, just maybe a, a couple of quick comments on value stocks and and how that strategy is. In your yeah, opinion. so so this is um, a bit of a controversial statement, but I, I strongly believe <laughs> that uh, value doesn't work. And, and by by that, I mean, is that stocks don't go up just because they're cheap, mm -hmm. right? So you can look at this chart here um, and you can see that since the bear market started value, this is a, just a ratio between value and growth. So value in the numerator, growth in the denominator. So when this is when this line is going up, value is outperforming. And we all know this value has been outperforming since 2022, the beginning of the bear market, basically. And so mm -hmm. we can look at this and say, undeniably, at least the way it's measured here, which is a whole other conversation, value has been outperforming. 
But what I always say is that value doesn't work. Like stocks don't go up just because they're cheap. They need a growth catalyst to unlock that that value opportunity. Yeah. If there is no growth catalyst, then they just become value traps. And, and mm-hmm. the opposite can be said of, of growth names too. Like William O'Neill has always said that, that valuation is not a good way to pick growth stocks because right. growth stocks can keep going up even though they're quote unquote expensive. The reason they stop going up is not because they're expensive. They stop going up because the fundamentals inflect negative, right? So that's always what makes growth stocks go down and value stocks go up. So if you actually scroll down on this, uh, Justin, on this page, what I did with this exercise here is I just, I looked over the past year, this year in which value outperformed, and I just took the the uh, one-year growth in revenues and I plotted that on the x-axis. Mm-hmm. And I took the one-year change in price and I plotted that on the on the y-axis and I created the scatter plot. And you can then create a best fit line, which is that red line. And if it's upward and sloping to the right, there's a positive correlation between top line revenue growth and price performance. So the, ch- the top chart tells you that value is working. But I would say, as always, it's not value working. It's revenues are, are driving that inflection higher. And this yeah. shows that you know, revenues are always what matter. Yeah. Top line revenue growth, particularly over the long term, is what drives performance. And, you know, as, as much as we can say value outperformed last year, it's still driven by, by revenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a good place to end this segment. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the stocks that are on your radar. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Trading Tesla. Sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leverage and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Paris. And uh, together we are chatting with David Lundgren, who is a portfolio manager over at Motor Capital, also has his own podcast, Fill the Gap, which is uh, something he does for the CMT Association. Um, and you know, we, we just kind of learned a lot about his process, all of the things that he's looking at, and uh, why he's not worried and, and actually kind of excited about uh, the prospects going forward. So uh, maybe you could start with a, a few stocks that are on your uh, radar. And you mentioned already, you kind of teased Riot. So maybe we start there. Uh, what, what is it about Riot that is uh, uh, looking interesting to you? Yeah, so I, I wanted to bring this one up for a couple of reasons. One, because if you, if you again, reflect back on that inviolable rules of trend following, this stock has checked those boxes. So um, if, if you look at just uh, the, the last swing high, you've got this double double base in place. So this is, this is a, a, a trend reversal by, by most measures. Obviously, you have a lot of overhead resistance still in the, the right. 20s, the mid-20s. But, um, but you know, the volume has been, as if you go to the daily chart, you don't need to. But if you went to the daily chart, you'd see a nice pullback in the volume during this base. That looks like a nice flag pattern. So this, by, by all measures, is, is a stock that should be considered on the long side. Um, but one of, one of the things I want to bring up about this is, is that there's a tendency to, to lean back on, on the prior bull market's leadership and expecting it to lead in the current bull market. And the truth is, and I think uh, might, might have been Arusha might have said that the work you've done says it's only 12% yeah, of, right. of stocks uh, that, that led in the prior bull market lead in the next bull market. So we need to be mindful of that, right? So we don't need to forecast that this stock has, has checked all the boxes that we need to check in that inviolable rules of trend following process. It's uh, it's got a 98 relative strength rate rating. Um, you can see the, the revenues have dropped off quite a bit. So it's, that's not a, a positive here um, for sure. Uh, 
But having said that, the point is you don't need to forecast whether or not this will be leadership for the next 10 years. You don't need to even think like that ever on any stock. What you need to know is that this stock is in an uptrend as long as it holds above eight. That's what you need to know. And so um, the the stat that I gave earlier where something like 54% of the stocks that have that have that have broken into an uptrend, only 54% of them are in a are in a uh, are still above where they were when they broke out. Be mindful of that. So what, how do you translate that into portfolio? Well, you should always be executing and always be buying charts that look like this, no matter what. But when you're in an environment that's not conducive to follow through, which we can measure statistically, just make it smaller. Don't raise mm-hmm. your stop. Don't make it tighter because that's not trend following. Trend following, it's, there's nothing wrong with the stock above eight. So don't put your stop at 10. That's not going to help you. Just position size it accordingly so that you, you have it positioned properly so that you can sit through a, a decline through eight in what is not yet a bull market. So this is a good example of a stock that's broken the uh, the downtrend, all those inviolable rules of trend following. It ranks by most measures uh, as, a, as, a, as an attract, attractive stock, but it's the past bull market's leadership. And it, this it was a doozy too. It was quite quite the bubble that's been fully participated. So don't be surprised, right? Expectations, mindset. Don't be surprised, expect this stock to fail. Why? Because most stocks do fail. Most stocks are failing now. And then just, Go about your business, mm-hmm. and if it fails, I, it's not going to destroy you. Yeah, right? and I like that. That uh, expect stocks to fail. Yeah, right. Because you do have a risk management place, uh, so you have a plan to get out, and not it's not going to be hundred percent fail. Right, you're not going to be hundred percent wrong. You might be wrong a lot, especially in a bear market. But yeah. it's chances are you're not going to be hundred percent long if you are looking for stocks and uptrends. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, on the fundamental side here, um, you know, as you mentioned, look, the, the revenues have dropped off, um, but there is, you know, part of the part of the stock is the whole blockchain. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been seeing, uh, you know, Bit, Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, you know, kind of kind of improving lately. So how much of the story here do you put into the uh, put into your analysis uh, since this is something that doesn't have revenues? It, it doesn't. Um, but, but you know, I'm, I'm a student of the markets. I've studied the markets back 200 years as far back as I can. So I, I love studying markets and cycles and what drove them and all the technology uh, revolutions that drove cycle to cycle and things like that. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. It's just not in my inviolable rules of trend following because mm-hmm. none of that has to happen again. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, but uh, having said that, you, you know, how do I think about it? I'm 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 mindful of the idea that th- that what happened last year in 2021 in particular was comparable to what happened with the the, um, the, the dot-com bubble, where mm-hmm. most stocks did not come out of that alive. Mm-hmm. And so it's correct to, to believe that most of the stocks that that uh, went through this bear market that we just had will not come out alive. So that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a proper expectation. But that doesn't mean don't buy them. Because if you had that mindset, you wouldn't have bought Amazon when it turned, like, like right. you see happening here, right? So it's, it's not about forecasting in, or, or knowing or having this particular insight as to which one's going to make it versus not. It's about recognizing that this is structure that you can work with. Mm-hmm. Right. Very good. But, you know, Bitcoin is, 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 it's looks fine to me. I think you can actually be long. I think that has structure that you can, you can uh, manage your risk with and maybe go to 40,000 or 50,000. If that happens, this stock is going to do great. But one of the concepts we mentioned earlier was, it was a momentum crash and momentum crashes are all about things that were priced to go to zero in a bear market doubling and tripling off the bottom because they're not going to zero. And, 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 it, and many of them actually inflect trend and get you kind of to buy them. 
the problem being that that the the, the reason that they came off the, the bottom like that was because they weren't going out of business, not because they have a great 10 years ahead. So there's a risk of that being the case here, that mm -hmm. you know that the stuff that lead off the bottom is usually the stuff that did the worst in the bear market. And it, just because they did the best off the bottom does not mean that they're going to do the best in the incoming uh, oncoming bull market. So you always, as I said earlier, you need to you need to uh, constantly be upgrading the portfolio, making sure that you're in the right stocks and and just be mindful that this is a stock that that could easily be one of those, you know, uh, momentum crash participants. And don't be surprised if it fails. Mm -hmm. OK, well, you know what, let's go ahead and shift our attention maybe over to chips, because uh, the, you know, I mean, the semiconductor industry is one that we are pretty confident we can rely on, uh, you know, being here for the long term. It's just a matter of uh, who the players are going to be, who the main players are going to be, because that's that's shifting a lot of times. Uh, so let's take a look at onto innovation, um, ONTO. Um, this is, you know, this is looking very different from a lot of the other chip stocks. It, indeed. Um, you know, it, chips, generally speaking, if you want to just call up the SMH real quick, I mean, that looks it looks like a bottom. It looks like it's like, like the turn is in and, you know, you've kind of done a flag and you've retested it and the 200 day average is rising. You've got that labeled as a cup and handle, which I think is uh, uh, I love that part of the service, by the way. Yeah. Um, but that's the backdrop. That's sort of the uh, the, the bus that's carrying all the uh, all the semiconductors and some of them are up at the front of the bus and and, and others are at the back. And, and I think on, on toes at the at the at the front, if it's not the driver. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 uh, is there something about this uh, particular structure that you're looking at? I mean, we've we've kind of crossed some areas of resistance here that it touched a number of times, um, but uh, you know now now we're clearly above that. So what about being extended? Uh, you know, when when something is kind of sticking up this far, do you then back away because it's 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 come up already and you missed it, or what? What are your rules uh, on that? Um, I, I, I do do that. I, I have um, four setups. It's basically long one, two, three, and four. They're all great setups. They're just varying degrees of timeliness. So my, my preference is to buy long ones, which are stocks that just, it's you know very similar to what uh, the way William O'Neill described it, uh, where, and you guys to this day describe it, where you've just broken out of a base mm -hmm. and you're not more than 10% removed from the point of breakout. Um, whether whether Onto is a long one or, or a long two, which would be re just recently broken out of a base, but you're up more than 10%. Um, it looks like it's right on the border there. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't qualify or characterize this as being extended necessarily. But mm -hmm. I, I would say, remember, that the patterns that look, that look just like this all year long have failed more often than not. So yeah, yeah. that doesn't mean don't do it because you always have to execute the process. You can't just pick and choose when you're going to follow trend following. The way you deal with the fact that you're not sure and, you, and, and, the, and when I say not sure, I don't mean like internally and you're nervous. I mean, the data tells you to not be to, to not be sure because only 54% of the stocks that have broken out have actually made headway since they did that. So we're in that environment. So you, you should you should take a look at stocks like this, but size them appropriately for the fact, for the possibility that it will fail. What I like yes. about this one, though, is that there's very little overhead resistance. When stocks get into the you know, new all-time high territory. There's unlike Riot, which has all that resistance and in, in, um, uh, people that may, may, st may still own the stock, uh, you know, begging and pleading to get out even. Onto, right. everybody that owns it is pretty much happy. Yeah. Yeah. So for, so for Onto here, it, it, were you using like an 89 as kind of the key resistance? So, okay, now it's breaking above that. I mean, 89 kind of went through a, yeah. a number of bases there. Right. Uh, Okay, so so you you're using that and and then um, 
Uh, it's not super extended, so but it is a little extended tier. Uh, so you're going for a little bit smaller position. Um, but I think one of the kind of the keys there that, that you're getting on, which is a really important uh, concept, is you want to take those shots, take them smaller, because getting feedback from the market is the most important thing. Exactly. And maybe we could talk about more specifically, like, what do I mean by make it smaller? So every yeah. every position that I put on, and this is this is most trend followers do something very similar, is I, I have a specific value at risk that I'm willing to risk per trade. In a bull market, it's 50 basis points. Okay. In a bear market, it's 10 or 15 basis points because it's a, like 80% of what you do in a bear market on the long side is going to lose money. You know that. So why would you risk 50 basis points on every trade? <laughs> so, so it's more like just it's the same stop. You can't you can't raise your stop because that's that, that undermines trend following. Just mm -hmm. risk less. So mm -hmm. it just by risking uh, 15 basis points instead of 50 with the same stop, it forces you to keep a smaller position. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. how I do it. I like that. Yeah. And, and especially, again, when you know that the odds are not in your favor, right. um, you're just, it's okay, just yeah, yeah just this, this is what I'm going to do to my, adjust in my portfolio. Yeah, um, but you, can't, you can't look at this chart and not say, and, and not buy it because you, 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 you're concerned or you're worried or you have debt, debt ceiling or whatever. You can't, you can't do that if you're going to be successful trend following. Right. As I said, I own, I own a full, I own my full um, number of stocks that I want to own. I'm executing every single day. I also have a lot of cash and I also have a lot of shorts. But the idea is that when things inflect, I just need to gross up what I own. Mm -hmm. Right. How often do you rotate every single out, out of that? So if you have like 40 stocks, how often will you adjust those 40 stocks? So as you can imagine, in it's it's environment dependent. So in an environment yeah. like this, my turnover actually is quite a bit higher. Okay. Mm -hmm. But when, when things start going, you know, you can own stocks for two or three years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say that it, it does seem like we've suffered a little bit more from sector rotation. And it's 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 like a constant, like where, oh, you know, this is starting to look good. And as soon as it does, it rolls over. And the things that weren't looking good, you know, the sectors, you know, start start taking over. Yeah. And then as soon as they start looking strong. And so, I mean, if you're if you're using kind of like relative strength, um, it's just moving so quickly that by the time it gets strong enough to be on the relative strength leader then it's done, you know, kind right. of thing. So, yeah, um, yeah that, that, that's, that's, that's the, the nature of trend following. You can't, yeah, you can't right. fix that. You can't change it. You have to accept it. Yeah. Expect it. So if you expect it and it happens, you're not freaking out about it. It happened yeah. and you expected it. So there's just move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you talked a little bit about this idea of the stocks that are um, kind of near their highs and don't have all this overhead resistance like Onto. Um, let's take a look at Casella Waste Systems, uh, CWST. Uh, this is a stock that's already kind of at, at highs and pollution control. Uh, it seemed like a lot of these pollution control stocks yeah. were, were appearing. Um, do you consider this a little bit more defensive or is this uh, yeah. a, a burgeoning area that we just need to be paying attention to? Well, it's, it's, it's defensive in the sense that it does have this um, recurring revenue stream kind of aspect to it. It's garbage, right? So yeah, right. <laughs> Literally garbage. Time, a lot of garbage. <laughs> um, so but, but look at the revenue stream. I mean, this is a this is a fast growing company. So mm -hmm. it's a combination of recurring revenue streams to a certain extent, uh, but but also um, strong revenue growth. And but th this I wanted to talk about this one because this was an, this is an example of what I said earlier about how industrials have been the number one or number two sector throughout mm -hmm. this entire bear market. Um, actually, the relative performance on the XLI actually bottomed, I think, on the day that the S&P peaked and started the bear market. 
So industrials okay, have been outperforming throughout this whole thing. And when we went into the October lows and, and everything went, you know, aggressively to the downside, when that happened, the industrials actually broke a five-year relative performance downtrend. Wow. So it's, those are the things that, you know, while, while you're in a bear market, there's certainly, it's not like there's nothing to do. These are the things you want to watch for. So throughout this whole thing, industrials and consumer discretionary have actually retained with, with the exception of energy, which was up at the top for a long time. It's yeah. now down, I think it's number nine. And probably the reason it's not 10 or 11 is because it's fighting for the the bottom of the bucket with with financials and real estate, which is but you know, this, this is a stable company. I think you guys have beta on, on this. Uh, yep. Yes. Beta is 74.74. Mm -hmm. So this is a low, this is an example of a low beta industrial that's outperforming, yeah. but it also happens to have a nice growth pro profile. Yeah. And, it has and you can no see it didn't fall that much. Everybody that owns it's happy. Right. Yeah. yeah. You can see it didn't fall that much, which was making it easier to get back to those highs. Cause right. I, I mean, this last base was I think only 18% or something like that. And it was right. a little bit deeper before that, but it's right. certainly not the 70% uh, plus of, you know, the Shopify's and data dogs and so on. Right. Um, you know what, uh, because you mentioned consumer discretionary kind of at the outset, I want to just add a bonus stock in here and we'll oh. see if uh, our, our editor screams, um, you know, and, and jumps on and says, no, no more. But um, let's, let's take a look at Shake Shack, just because, again, you, you, you mentioned the consumer discretionary. It seems like a lot of these restaurants, um, you know, are, are looking interesting. I mean, CMG yeah. was one we were talking about on our show today. But uh, what is it about Shake Shack that uh, is, is kind of looking interesting to you? It's, it's another example of a, um, a company that has had a great growth profile, but it's gone nowhere for, I think it's five years. Mm -hmm. You know, and so eventually what happens is that those fundamentals bubble up and they start to push the stock higher. And and, uh, you know, this when you look when you talk about post IPO patterns, this is this is kind of a nice looking pattern. And from a trend, you know, uh, inviolable rules of trend following, it's checked all the boxes. So it, whatever it, whatever it needed to do to go to 200, it's checked those boxes. Mm -hmm. So now it's just manage your risk, chase it with your stop, manage your positions, position size properly. But this stock has. Has has done everything it needs to do to be in an uptrend in this time frame, which is the time frame we're trying to capture this weekly chart. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, hey, David, it was really a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, a lot of good things, statistics, process, and mindset for uh, for our listeners to think about. So, really appreciate you sharing your thoughts. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. Okay. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for us on this week's show. Uh, next week, we're going to have a, uh, another guest, of course, as we always do. Uh, Leif Serrate uh, is going to be on our show. And so we'll be ch chatting with him a little bit. Uh, he's a championship trader, and we'll kind of get into his mindset of what's working for him and how he's handling the current market environment. So hope you tune in for that. Thanks for watching this this week. We'll see you next time. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.